0: With for this week's episode of book guys is brought to you by Hollowbooks.com, where they create custom made books where you can hide just about anything you choose the book they do the rest uh, book guys. it's the book guys show season seven episode two we're doing another meet the authors my name is paul elves in toronto and all the way in seattle us and a mr craig damla how you doing
1: I am doing good. The best coast is the place to
0: be, so that's why I'm here. Hey, and uh, Skype seems to be holding up, but uh, we've had some issues today with Skype, have we not, Craig?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have. It's uh, you know, it, it's almost as if they know the first episode in Season 7 went perfectly smooth, and they said, uh-oh, they're doing another one. Throw everything we got at them.
0: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So this is Meet the Authors. We got a bunch of authors we're going to talk to, but, uh, I think it's about time. I did some, shameless, self-promotion, so let's do this. It's uh...
1: nonfiction
0: now. I, I know it's been a while. It's been 15, 16 years. So let's give a little primer. I've got, a. Uh, uh, we're going to put a little clip. It's a four minute clip from the history channel to remind everyone what happened uh, almost 16 years ago.
2: September 11th, 2001. A day of grief. A day of courage. This is how that day unfolded. My daughter called me. She said uh, a plane just flew into the World Trade Center. Nah, you gotta be kidding. It? It's gotta be a piper cub or some clown was flying down the river. At 8.46 a.m., American Airlines Flight 11 from Boston, with 92 aboard, traveling at a speed of 470 miles per hour, strikes the North Tower of the World Trade Center complex. Within minutes, officials coordinate the citywide emergency response. Their base of operations is a state-of-the-art command center located on the 23rd floor of 7 World Trade Center. With one tower in flames, the tragedy is only beginning. It is 9.03 when United Airlines Flight 175, with 65 aboard, traveling at the speed of 590 miles per hour, smashes into the south tower of the World Trade Center. This aircraft strikes the corner of the south tower. It rips a diagonally shaped gash from the 84th to the 78th floors. The South Tower lasts only 56 minutes before it succumbs at 9.59 a.m. A A dust cloud billows outward for blocks. Victims stagger away. At 10.28, the television mast atop the North Tower spears straight down. Once the collapse started, there
3: really wasn't any way to stop it. It was just going to go all the way down once it got started.
2: Chaos in New York City. Is down in lower Manhattan. Phone lines jammed with more than 230 million calls. Hundreds of firefighters trapped in the towers. Hundreds more raced to the sea. Falling debris from the collapse of the north and south towers ignites fires in the neighboring buildings of the World Trade Center. World Trade 4, 5, and 6 are ablaze. World Trade 7, the building housing the city's command center, burns unchecked for 7 hours. At 5.20, it collapses. The city's emergency nerve center is destroyed
0: somewhere in that time, and it's very hard to keep track of time during this. They had been ordered to evacuate Number 7 by the Port Authority. To this day, we don't know who gave that order, but whoever it was saved a lot of people's lives.
2: With New York a war zone, some residents walk across the Brooklyn Bridge to get out of the city. Others seek escape in vessels piloted by the Army Corps of Engineers. At 7:45 p.m., the New York Police Department says 78 officers are missing, and estimates that 200 firefighters are dead. At 10:56 p.m., police officials say they believe there are victims alive in the rubble of the World Trade Center. Working with urban search and rescue teams, there was a lot of areas to be searched underneath the debris field. There were voids that had to be searched for possible live people. September 11th, 2001. The longest and most tragic day in New York's history is drawing to a close.
0: Now that was a bit of a recap from uh, the History Channel, but uh, I'd like to reintroduce myself to the listeners. Uh, I'm not just a podcast host... Uh, security supervisor, future police officer. I'm also an author, apparently. (laughs) Apparently, iPad (laughs) books count, too. (laughs) And my book is called A Complete Guide to 9-11, and it is iPad only. Uh, Craig, I'll explain to you why it's iPad only. It's because I used iBooks, and because um, this basically just started off as a folder of files that I kept stuff in because I was really interested in how this happened, how did this happen, uh, I started collecting videos at the time people were putting up from their VHS players and, and converting them, putting them on YouTube. And a lot of these videos are no longer available on the web, and I'm really glad that I did archive them uh, on my own personal hard drives. And eventually, they were included in this compilation. Uh, and, and the reason it's iPad only is because it was the only, uh, well, the only user-friendly way for an author to add uh, music and videos and 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 you know different uh, multimedia. Uh, Assets to a book. Uh, The medium truly is the message here. Uh, uh, I I tried to convey my message through the media because if I tried to write what I was thinking at the time, uh, I think people would just think I'm a crazy man. (laughs) But just you know, (laughs) ask for a refund on the book. So instead of trying to write what I was thinking happened, I just presented the media and the facts and the, the the clips, the the audio, the video of what I saw and let kind of the, you know, the reader develop in their own mind the ideas that I was thinking. (laughs) Does that make sense?
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah, no, that totally, that totally makes sense. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting problem for, you know, even an author today. I mean, yeah, it seems like we're, we're pretty set. The Kindle's going to be around for a while. PDFs are going to be around for a while, but you almost have to pick what how you're going to do your book and go forward yeah. with it and and at the you know it's whatever's the best at the time and i you know i don't know i mean amazon's got their kindle in motion but it's still not great i i, I book still is one of the best platforms for it
0: yeah absolutely absolutely and and uh you know we, we like you said you think the kindle's gonna be around forever but you know amazon with with a single click can delete books from everyone's kindle. Right. You know, the, the second your kindle hits the internet if Amazon says that book is now banned where it's fake news, that book's getting deleted off your kindle. Yeah. Y- you know, uh, and and I'm sure the same is with this book, but I'm really glad that I kept some of these clips. Uh I mean, it's not like I have anything, you know, groundbreaking or whatever. I'm sure uh every, you know, all, all the you know, media has these things but they're just no longer readily available on the internet i mean it took me a while even recently just to find the uh, clips from the lone gunman plight oh actually this is the reason that i did made the book right because uh, when i first uh found the lone gunman pilot okay we're talking x-files folks right yeah yeah less than a year before 9-11 happened the X-Files tried to do a spin-off called The Lone Gunman about the crazy conspiracy theorists that had helped uh, Mulder and Scully before, and it was called The Lone Gunman. And then the first episode of The Lone Gunman, which did air as a pilot, or, or maybe it was an unaired pilot. I'm not sure if it aired, actually.
1: I, you know, I don't have remember
0: now. I don't think it actually aired as a pilot. I think it was just an internal pilot. But uh, the pilot episode basically was that the U.S. government, a cabal of evil Evil people in the U.S. government decided they were going to fly planes into skyscrapers in the United States in order to justify war with another country, so that the military-industrial complex could make a fortune. You know, uh, you know, uh, making weapons because you know if you go to war, a lot of planes get blown up. You got to buy new planes, and they make more money. So you know, uh, I was looking at that and thinking, well. Was Fox complicit in the 9-11 attacks? That that didn't seem plausible <laughs> at all, right? So I had to find a, a more plausible reason. So, of course, through my research, I found where Fox's writers found that plot line. And that's when I found, uh, long before I read the, uh, the Jesse Ventura book, I found the Operation Northwoods documents online. And they were uh, official documents from the U.S. government, uh, declassified from the 1960s. And, uh, you know, at the time, a lot of people's, uh, theory conspiracy theories were that these were remote control planes and there was no humans aboard. And I think a lot of those theories came from, you know, this operation Northwoods. The plan was in the 1960s, this is real. You can look it online. Uh, you can find it operation Northwoods. Uh, this was, um, presented to president Kennedy. The idea was to fly, um, was to get a bunch of people off of, uh, airliners, you know, with uh, flight numbers and everything, take them off, make up, invent a bunch of uh, fake people who are now uh, on the plane, supposedly, people that don't exist, right? And then remote control these planes into uh, skyscrapers in the United States and blame it on Cuba so that they could invade Cuba openly and with the permission of the American public. Um, Well, it turns out President Kennedy didn't really appreciate this and didn't think, thought it was horrible, literally uh, uh, inducing of horror, and, uh, you know, a couple of months later he got shot in the head in uh, Dallas. So he, he was not too keen on this idea. It was a terrible idea, but, th- but the fact that this was presented to the United States president tells me that this was viable technology, right? I mean, uh, no, one's presenting things to Donald Trump today involving flying saucers that don't exist. Right? So I'm thinking that if they're presenting it to the president in the 1960s, that means they had the technology to remote control these planes. So that kind of uh, got me going. So I just kept going and finding different things. And and the, the book's not all uh, you know, conspiracy theories. It's just interesting things that happened on that day and just before that. And there's there are videos accompanying every uh every chapter, every story in the book has the source clearly marked at the end. And it's not InfoWars or no agenda show or Breitbart or, you know, in case you're, you know, you're a liberal that's afraid of these uh, websites. It's all coming from mainstream sources um, and, and official uh, government documents are presented and they are copied in the thing. That's why it's like 180 megabytes for the, for the book.
1: Yeah, that's a, uh, it's a big book, but yeah, <laughs> uh, it's a rather large book
0: actually, because a lot of video and audio in it.
1: Yeah, but it's, it's nice that you can include it. I mean, that's, and that's the thing that, uh, you know, I'm not in college anymore. Uh, I'm just, I'm curious, where are we on that? And even, even in textbooks, but it also, to your point of videos not being available as you know, and Amazon can remove books from my, uh, device. Can we change things in the books without anybody knowing? Oh, and yeah. The answer is yes. of course. The answer, of course,
0: is yes, because I mean, even I can, uh, I, I can do an update to the book and remove a video. And the second, right. you know, if you have the, the the book loaded on your 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 iPad, it will get updated. Which you know, like like every uh, piece of technology, it goes both ways, right? I mean, either I'm updating or removing a fraudulent story or fake news from my book, which I've never had to do. By the way, in the last couple of years that it's been out there, I've never had to remove anything. I've only been adding uh segments that, or you know, readers have uh, written in and said you should put this in there. Uh, one reader sent me another thing about uh, a plant that survived, <laughs> an office plant, and I thought that was neat, so I, I included that in the book. the The office plant that survived nine eleven. Why not? It's funny, you know. It's a, <laughs> it's a little. Uh, it's
1: interesting.
0: You got to have a little but, but, good news mixed in with the bad, right? The one plant that survived nine eleven.
1: <laughs> right. And if our listeners want to read your book, how do they get it?
0: Uh, they would have to go to iBooks on iTunes, and they have to have an iPad or uh, a modern iPhone, and they're going to search for The Complete Guide to 9-11 by Paul Alves. Let me know what you think. Um, Send me uh, some comments at newsroomatme.com. It's only 99 cents, and the only reason right now it's 99 cents, it used to be free, is because I find that we reached more people when it was 99 cents. I don't know. It's something about the uh, the free model that people just go, Oh, it's free, it must be crap. <laughs> you know? So we're we're getting like, Yeah,
1: there there's a there's a value play, uh, you know, yeah. and it's it's true. Uh studies have been done that uh you know, if you give something away, someone's not gonna value it as much as if yeah. they have to pay for it.
0: Now, now don't get me wrong, I'm not getting rich off this thing. I mean, uh making it nine nine cents, I went from like two downloads a month to ten. You know? <laughs> it's not gonna pay the bills, but <laughs> He's rich. Uh, you know, it was it was something that I wrote because uh, I, I was passionate about it. I thought it was interesting, and uh, I think you'll get ninety nine cents worth of entertainment out of it. And uh, that's it. That's my shameless self promotion on my own show. <laughs> 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 my apologies. <It's> good. <laughs> but if you're interested in that, anyways, check it out. There are some conspiracies there. Just saying, Building Seven. <laughs> Well, we're going to take a break, Craig. Uh, you know, folks can check it out. Uh, like I said, if you find any cool videos you want me to add to that book, I'll do it. I'm also, any of our author listeners that are out there, um, I would really love some help bringing this to uh, other platforms like Amazon. So if you are aware of how to do this, how to bring a multimedia project like this to Amazon, I would, I would love to have it in more bookstores because, I mean, uh, just because someone doesn't own a, an Apple product, I, d- I don't want them to be denied uh, the opportunity to read my crappy book. So, <laughs> I would really love it if someone could show me how to the ropes on how to bring <laughs> this kind of multimedia experience to uh, other platforms like Amazon and Inkshares and whatnot. So, uh, give me a ding newsroom at me dot com. And uh, when we come back, if Skype holds up, well, I think we're going to have uh, Rich Garen, author of Felling Big Trees, and we'll meet some more authors, more interesting than this one. You guys are sick of hearing my voice. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I wouldn't exactly call my life normal, but things have gotten a little weird since I started experimenting with this book called The Dark Tome. When I say the book opened other worlds, I mean that literally. It it worked! It worked! Holy crap, it worked! There it is! The little village, uh, what did they call it, uh, posi, posi, uh...
3: Posidano. Ah! (laughs) No need to be frightened, little girl.
1: If you think imagination is a toy to be locked in a box when the grown-up world comes crashing in, then you must never have heard the legend of the Dark Tome. I mean, I never had either. Not until that May.
2: It was 820 steps from
0: Sulescale
2: to the world below. I walk them, again and again, with my father, following his tread from our home in the sky, and then back again.
0: I walked those stairs when I slept, in my dreams.
2: If I had
1: any sense, I would stay home now. But I can't. I don't want to. I need another story.
0: The truth? I believe the stairs led down into hell. And hell
2: was where I wanted to go. The Dark Tome is a new audio fiction series by Fred Greenhalgh and Bill Dufrice. Debuting October 28th, 2016. Find The Dark Tome on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or visit thedarktome.com. The Dark Tome. Open the book. Unlock imagination.
1: What happens now?
2: Will you continue reading, or...? I don't know. It is up
0: to you. I have all the time in the world.
1: Hi, I'm Scott Meyer, author of the Magic 2.0 books, Master of Formalities and the Authorities,
0: and you're listening to the Book Guys.
2: Hi, this is Bernard Robichaux. I play Cyrus on the Trailer Park Boys, and you're listening to the Book Guys. Ah, Book Guys. And now it's time for some politics. Fiction, fiction, fiction.
0: What a great tune, Small Axe by Bob Marley. Of course, uh, although Bob Marley was felling some big trees, so is Rich Guerin in his new book, Felling Big Trees. How are you, Rich? I'm doing
4: fine. How are you?
0: I'm very well. I'm in Toronto, Canada. My name's Paul, and in Seattle is Craig you Doing, Craig? Doing good.
1: So I'm, so I'm interested to hear about these big trees and how we take them down.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, Rich, tell us a little bit about your uh, new book, Felling Big Trees.
4: Well, uh, this is a book that um, was drawn from uh, my experiences uh, working for more than 25 years on Capitol Hill, um, I had an opportunity to be involved in some of the policymaking up there, but it also gave me firsthand knowledge about how things worked or should work, <laughs> and an insight into the personal lives of members of Congress and how they juggled family with the demands of the job. Um, it's set in the 1990s, uh, but many of the issues and the questions that it raised raised. Uh, are, uh, I think, uh, still relevant today.
0: Uh, absolutely. I, I got to ask you cause you're, you were a former policymaker in Washington familiar with uh, Congress and and how they operate. Is it, is it really true? Uh, cause up here in Canada, we're kind of flabbergasted, uh, seeing some of these documentaries showing that congressmen spend so much time on the phone begging for money. Is that reality?
4: Uh, I'm afraid, uh, to a large degree it is. Um, Campaigns have become very expensive, um, media buys, polling, uh, fundraisers, um, it, it's it's just an awful lot, and um, unfortunately, it for a congressman, uh, a member of the House, they're up for election every two years. Right. Senate, it's every six years, but they cover an entire state, so they've got to start raising money right away. Um, I just had a, uh, good friend of mine, uh, used to work with us, um, uh, was defeated, uh, in his Senate, um, reelection bid in Illinois, Mark Kirk. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, the money it, it, it was millions and millions of dollars. It really is. Yeah. And, um, I, I I don't think it's the greatest thing in the world, but it, it's it's kind of how things are working right now.
0: Yeah, it, it almost so, seems like the only way to get around uh, spending millions and billions of dollars to get elected is to be famous. Uh, President Trump, just saying. Yeah,
4: well, <laughs> you know, if you if you do come with a uh, a, a platform, then uh, it, it you have a certain visibility, and 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 you're right um a, a lot of uh people who try to get elected to some of these positions uh are well known uh some of them work their way up uh through the ranks and um but there there are a lot of them who um you know are not independently wealthy um and uh they've got to work
0: hard raising funds absolutely uh, wh- why don't you get into the the story of, of felling big trees
4: well, it's it's a story of a of a congressman um, who came to Congress uh, through a, a series of events that uh, he wasn't. I don't think he was quite sure that he wanted to run for Congress. And then when he got there, um, I think he just kind of fell in with everything that was was going on. He had a horrible tragedy in his life, and um, it uh, it really kind of turned him around um he he basically started to focus on things more and um he uh saw that there were a lot of big issues that were facing uh, the united states and also the international community at the time there were problems in bosnia there was a horrible war over there i was over there and um we had rwanda i happened to be over there i did a lot of traveling in in my position and then down in haiti as well um And I think that uh, he was able to look at these different issues and just uh, was asking questions of why aren't we doing more? And um, uh, how can we try to uh, bring a a better connection to these injustices um, that we see? And he got involved in something that um, really was not a big deal. But the Washington spin machine happened to make it a big deal because... They just happened to focus on something, and it kind of spun out of control. He lashed out at Washington, uh, but Washington is—it's uh, a uh, pretty tough old bird, and uh, you yeah. really don't stand much of a chance against it. No. <laughs> and he left, and he was able to uh, travel through small town America and met uh, a lot of different, interesting people. Who, uh, again, through his. Um, using him as a lens, uh, we're able to focus on, uh, some of the issues from the other side, not from the, uh, elected representative side, but from the so-called constituent or everyman side.
0: Now, um, I, I gotta say, uh, your the beginning of this novel really, uh, had me, uh, you had me right away at the, at the top of the novel, um, i'm I'm sorry it's a really serious uh, topics in the novel but i gotta say that the congressman's uh, quest to reach the bathroom before it was too late (laughs) has to be one of the most original and enthralling uh first page or two of a novel i've I've read in a while (laughs) because we've all been there
4: (laughs) yes we have and i and i think uh, irrespective of your position uh, that uh, feeling can be the great equalizer.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I'm not making light of it. I'm saying, you know, it really did get me into the novel. Uh, it's a real thing. And it really did ground me uh, and uh, show me that this was a real human being. Uh, you also, uh, you know, humanized the congressman right off the bat. Uh, and, and you know, of course, basic bodily function is a great way, a great equalizer between us all because um, uh, I believe there is a great children's book that's called everyone poops and, and it really did uh, make him a real person. <laughs> oh, when we lost Skype <laughs> for for a while there, Rich, I thought it was because we were, I, I said the word Trump or maybe cause I was talking about, uh, everybody <laughs> pooping. Uh, but we're that's back. We, we've reconnected. So Richie, I, I thought it was a great way to humanize the character right off the bat, and add a little, a little bit of tension. You know, you know they say always oh, start a novel running, and and uh, he certainly was running for the bathroom, wasn't he?
4: Yes, he was, and um, I, I I think that's the the approach, as I say, that I was trying to take to to humanize a lot of the folks that work up there. Uh, when I did some of the traveling, I uh, went out with some of the members and and uh, you got to spend um, quite a bit of time and you learned about their families and some of the um, things that uh, dragged them uh, one way or the other. And uh, I can remember one hearing, um, uh, Geraldine Ferrari, you remember, you may recall, uh, ran for uh, vice president
0: <clears throat> yes, yes,
4: back in the 80s. And uh, she was chairing the hearing and was called back into the ante room there and then came back out and was called again. Well, her daughter was homesick, and she had to talk to the doctor. And so uh, a lot of these uh, images don't really make it to um, the uh, the microphones and the uh, spotlights and everything else, but uh, they are human beings behind uh, uh, these uh, that, that deal with these issues. And um, just kind of, uh, I thought, my being able to, uh, share some of these things. And, and with my experience having been up there, it brought a certain authenticity to it.
0: Absolutely. And uh, how long were you in Washington?
4: Uh, I was there, uh, probably over about 25 years.
0: Wow. Wow. So you, you saw a lot.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> but there's always something new that uh, comes on the horizon, as it were. Uh,
0: now, let's go beyond felling big trees. Uh, well, actually, before we go beyond, t- tell us a bit about what the congressman fights for later in the novel, because I-, I believe that's a very important uh, topic.
4: Well, I I, I think that uh, he-, he, and this is probably a reflection of-, of one of the things that I've spent quite a bit of time on now, Uh, first of all is is homelessness. Uh, He then um, deals with race relations. Uh, He then deals with some environmental issues and uh, he also develops a relationship with um, a dwarf uh, and there are a lot of issues there um, that uh, kind of bring to a a different light uh, some of the things that you just kind of take for granted you you see um someone's particular situation or uh disability and uh, you see how they try to deal with it and um you try to uh in his case uh, tries to help tries to learn from it and realizes he he learns an unbelievable amount from it and um i think one of the things that i think is most important for um uh, one of the traits that is most important for a congressman for a policymaker uh to have is uh compassion
0: yeah i think the whole world needs a little bit more compassion in general uh ap-
4: absolutely uh when my editor and, and i were talking last fall during the uh the campaign uh, we were both saying gee this is kind of a book that does speak to tolerance and compassion and it's uh probably uh, something that would be helpful for people to read. And um, uh, the book didn't get out until uh, towards the end of December, but um, <laughs> we found out that uh, all the uh, divisiveness and uh, uh, tough words, strident tones and, and that of the campaign have uh, followed us now into February.
0: Yeah, but is a lot of that not down to the mainstream media and their their headlines? Because I, I like to say that most people only read the headlines. So when the headline says yeah. Trump is Hitler, then a lot of people start thinking Trump is Hitler. They don't actually, right. you know, read the actual story at the Washington Post, right. or they don't they don't right. watch the entire thing on CNN. They flip the channel to uh, whatever it is kids watch nowadays on the televisions. Yeah. Um, no,
4: it, is a lot of it down I think to that's the media? Very good point. I uh, can recall uh, times when I was on the floor of the house. We had some legislation and our committee was involved in managing the bill and that. And, uh, I would read about what happened uh, according to the Washington post in its columns the next day. And was like, wait a minute, where was that happening? And, um, <laughs> so, uh, you're right. Um, I, I have done some, some earlier interviews where people were interested in, okay, you've been there on the Hill. Uh, what was, what's going to happen in the first hundred days? And, um, My answer was, I I really don't know. Uh, The end of the 100 days is going to be in April sometime uh, around Easter. We're going to have daylight saving time here. It's going to be a lot warmer, and um, I have no idea really what's going to happen. I think um, one of the things when you bring in somebody who's not had any government experience is that, um there are a lot of moving parts uh to to washington uh policy making and um
0: and subtleties i
4: think that p- pardon me
0: and and subtleties certain right, things absolutely. are not supposed it's to all say
4: nuances and, and how things yeah. get done and um so it 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 takes a while i think to kind of get engaged with that and uh i think there were some unfortunate um missteps early on as far as uh uh, coordinating some communication in that but um you know it's only been it's only been several weeks yeah. and i think we really have to kind of just see how this this all uh, I I think ends we're seeing out, uh, we're and,
0: seeing uh, a bull in the china shop politics early on here from Trump but, i mean we saw the same thing from Ronald Reagan and the right, same right. the same sort of uh, you know uh, visceral opposition to him that we we saw uh, early on in the Reagan years and and Reagan went on for eight years. And he did two terms, right?
4: Right. He did. Yeah. One of the things too, in in, uh, talking about technology and that is that, uh, we're, we're really into a a new age with Twitter. Um, and, uh, I, I think that's one of the things that, uh, people are going to have to To deal with there there there's some that say well this is this is great because he's able to get his message out to people without having the uh, mainstream media kind of massage it or that and uh, I I think there that has some standing but on the other hand um, sometimes especially in the era uh, arena of of international policy politics in that um, you you need to kind of be very circumspect in, in the words that that you use and I think sometimes um, he, with, with the the tweeting in that, uh, he he kind of puts himself into into a position where um, it's a little bit difficult to pull back from, right. and I I don't know how that's all going to play out.
0: Uh, but I mean, I, okay, it's a new technology, Twitter. Of course, it's going to be used just like the telephone was used by right. you know first mm-hmm. time by president at some point, and the you know right. the the teletype and the telegram were used at some point right. by first time by president, but. I think it's more analog, analog to like what I was saying with uh, Ronald Reagan, where he had an existing audience, pre-existing audience that right. would listen to what he's saying. So right. well, Reagan might have done it on the Tonight Show, with uh, not, not, not even uh, well, I don't know. He might have been on the Jack Benny Show, for all I know. But right. uh, he he had a built-in audience. He didn't he could, right. didn't have to go through the New York Times or the Washington Post. He could just go right. on to you know another stage that he already had access to. Or, or right. Trump, same thing. He had, you know, I don't know how many million followers on Twitter and going directly to the audience. I, I don't think that's a new thing. I think popular people have always had a direct connection to the, the zeitgeist. But uh, we definitely are seeing bull in a china shop right now, and hopefully that calms down after a while.
4: <laughs> yeah, I, I think that uh, when when you look at uh, some of, of the picks, um, especially at uh Department of Defense, you, you have somebody who uh, I think is gotten praise on both sides and and i think he's gone out to speak to some of the allies and and uh other folks uh the to to which some of these policy decisions uh are important and um so i i i think it's the type of thing where uh he's he's just starting to get some of the cabinet heads in um right now what happens is uh you know you have um uh, thousands of um, positions at, uh, in these departments. Uh, you have a secretary, but then you have undersecretaries, assistant secretaries, deputy assistant secretaries, yeah. and a lot of these people are not in place yet. So it's it's very difficult for uh, a lot of communication to take place that uh, would otherwise take place. And um, so I think that bears uh, bears watching in the in the near future.
0: We don't touch too much on politics here on the book guys, but I got to ask you, Rich: Are we going to be okay? Are we going to survive this?
4: <laughs> you mean what's going on down here in the states? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I, I think so. Um, you know, one of the things that is interesting, and 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 again, as people talk about the first hundred days, um, you you made a very good point earlier on about raising money and and that and. Quite frankly, the the people who are up for election um, next year—that's uh, all the members of the House, 435, and then one third of the 100-seat uh, Senate—they're already <laughs> they're already in gear, uh, key to um, uh, next year's election. Uh, and i I think that um, if if some of these policies don 't look like they 're uh, going too well then um, you know the Republican party, for example, even though they 're in the majority of both houses um, often isn 't unified i mean it it's you 've got different factions and and you have to kind of cater to this group or cater to that group if you 're in the leadership and sometimes it's uh it can get a little bit uh, difficult to to have everybody stay on the same page. So we'll just have to wait to see. Um, Some of the uh, uh, the Democratic uh, uh, elements of of, of the Democratic Party um, are now flooding to some of the town halls of Republican congressmen, and uh, they're said to be taking a leap from the uh, Tea Party movement uh, on the conservative Mm -hmm. right uh so just exactly what's going to happen in the next election you know when president obama uh won uh, first time it was amazing how many first time voters came out but then in the by election 2 years later uh they didn't turn out the in the, in the same numbers and right. so um it's it's always kind of a wild card to see just exactly how some of the policy development is it will affect the upcoming elections
0: so, so, Rich, uh, thank you so much for your time. It looks like Skype is really having a bad night because we lost Craig at some point. I know he had a oh. bunch of questions to ask you, but uh, now he's gone offline. Uh, nothing we can do about that, folks. It's, uh, it's a technical thing. It's the Internet's. But uh, tell us, where can we find all of your great stuff, Rich, online? Where can our readers, uh, constant readers, go to find Felling Big Trees?
4: Well, I do have a website, uh, richgarren.com, uh, uh, and also uh, so it's it's available of uh, uh, going to that website. Uh, but also at um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, most of the on- online uh, retail uh, outlets, and um, so hopefully they can uh, they can go there and and pick up a copy.
0: Excellent! Thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully, we'll have you back sometime to talk some politics.
4: Thank you very much. Have a good evening now. Bye-bye.
0: You too, my friend. Take care.
2: Adventures in audio time and space. Visit us online at amaudiomedia.com. Hi, this is Scott Brick. I'm the audiobook narrator of the Jonathan Quinn series written by oh, some guy named Brett Battles. You're listening to the book, guys. Ah, book
0: Guys Fiction Fiction Fiction. A fantastic new novel by Edwin Herbert. What if a recently discovered map suggested the existence of a curious treasure? A hidden trove of ancient documents which proved Christianity was based on a fictional tale. Would the Vatican take measures to suppress that information? Would some seek to destroy it? christos by edwin herbert available now on amazon and i may have mispronounced christos because it could be christos <laughs> but we are here with edwin herbert himself how are you doing edwin
3: i'm very well thank you
0: uh, i'm very sorry about the poor quality of that uh, uh half-assed narration over your uh book trailer <laughs> but it did kind of give us a, a hint uh, as to what uh, mythos christos is all about and hopefully i'm pronouncing yeah, christos right
3: <laughs> yeah i say it you know i say mythos christos um I guess if we were going to go Greek, we would say mythos, mythos, Christos.
0: Mythos, Christos.
3: But yes, yes. Let's let's not get crazy, you know.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, I,
3: author gets to
1: decide how it's pronounced. So that's
0: right. Going. Yeah, authors write the pronunciation guides. Although uh, I just kind of threw that in quickly because, uh, like most authors, you guys like to produce these uh, book trailers that are all about uh, visual, uh, you know, pictures of uh, pages of books with writing on them. But it doesn't work in audio.
3: <laughs> oh right, right, yeah.
0: So, so, Edwin, t- tell us a bit about uh, Mythos Christos, or Mythos Christos, however you want to pronounce it.
3: Okay, Mythos Christos is um, half historical fiction, half archaeological adventure tale. Um, in 391 of the Common Era, Roman Emperor Theodosius issues a decree that there will be no religion but Christianity. Even to raise your eyes to a pagan idol is a criminal offense. Uh-huh. In Alexandria, Egypt, chaos is the rule. When philosopher and mathematician Hypatia of Alexandria witnesses the destruction of the Serapium, the temple to the god Serapis, and its library annex, she wonders if the great library of Alexandria will suffer the same fate. She takes measures to preserve selected manuscripts um, from subsequent purges, especially what the church deems forbidden knowledge. Documents Concerning the Hidden Origins of Christianity. Wow. Uh, to, prevent, um, to prevent the clergy and others from discovering her trove of manuscripts, she sets up a series of burials governed by riddles which must be solved to gain access. And we know from history that in 415 she's murdered by Archbishop Cyril's minions, the Nitrian monks, and her secret library languishes then for 16 centuries. So then we shoot to the modern day, and paleographer uh, Lex Thomason is, is asked to join a team of Vatican archivists to solve a series of puzzles in what turns out to be Hypatia's ancient treasure hunt. But along the way, he becomes suspicious of their motives and escapes them to finish the trail of treasures with a trusted relic trader so they move on from alexandria to Eleusis and delphi in greece and then back to heliopolis in egypt where they come upon hypatia's final horde the scene alternates between the two time periods with assassins lurking and fanatics abounding um so yeah and there's an array of uh, real and fictional characters as it's a historical fiction you can learn a lot from it of course Some people choose to learn when they're reading these things. They look for books like that. Uh, Yes. Um, I do. I'm certainly one of those. I I got to
0: say that uh, with my limited, uh, you know, knowledge of the history of this time, the Library of Alexandria, I got to say, I'm having a a hard time discerning between what the fictional parts are and what the, the real history is and what you just told us. (laughs)
3: Right, right. Well, we don't know that much about Hypatia, honestly, but uh, what others had written, one of her students, Sinesius, actually had written many letters to her. And so we have some of those. We have some things, some quotes from her, but we really don't know that much other than um, she was against um, organized religion in general. She kind of thought it uh, should be fallacious for the most part. Right. Um, and she was having trouble with um, Archbishop Cyril, who at that time was, uh, you know, one of the heads of the of the city or the the whole area there. He had way, way more power than he should have had. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's kind and of the, um, the, the, the rule for I mean, for a lot of history, that's that's the rule is the the religious are probably had a lot more power than they should have. Right. Or they should today in some places.
3: And power always corrupts. Yeah. Um, so, Mythos Christos will challenge your preconceived notions about Christianity, about even the very existence of Jesus. Um, and that's what we're after. So, Jesus of Nazareth may have been fictional. If, if not, you know, um, at least mostly fictional or based on a lot of myth which is what I'm um a lot of what I'm pushing here but in of course in the form of a exciting story.
0: Yeah, and I I've, I've read a lot of books on how uh, uh you know the the Jesus of Nazareth that uh, is um you know preached by the Catholic Church today may have been, you know, uh yes an important uh historical figure, perhaps even at one point a uh, uh, a prophet, considered a prophet in many holy books, but that it was uh you know, a group of men sitting around a table that decided that he was going to be uh, a fragment of God or a son of God, and having godlike powers, and that all may have been decided by committee. Um,
3: yeah, it was yeah. the ecumenical, ecumenical council of Nicaea was one of them. Yeah, back in three twenty-five, Constantine and Eusebius and those types were deciding those things.
1: Yeah, because you, you isn't that a, the one Santa Claus got kicked out of for being too unruly? <laughs> <laughs> i had not heard that, I haven't heard that yeah, one saint Nick, one, saint one of the saint nicholas's got kicked out hey so, so, sorry craig
0: uh, fact check false fake news there buddy nice try <laughs> <Yeah>. but uh, <laughs> um yeah um interesting concept for sure uh i love the idea that uh you know there's all these uh, burials and uh you know she's hidden all these facts and and someone's got to go and you know see what's happening what the truth is
3: right so, so take it for what it's worth, you know. I mean, I got a lot of this from um historians on the subject, Robert Price and Richard Carrier was a big one lately. He's written uh, on the historicity of Jesus and he comes out uh with his peer re- peer reviewed uh reviewed tome, I mean a huge book. And um he comes out of it with the answer that uh, the likelihood Jesus actually existed was something like 1 in 12,000. Right.
0: But but I mean this isn't a figure that just appeared in in, in Christian works. I mean uh, he is a a prophet in, you know, the Quran and uh he is mentioned in Islam and uh you know the other Abrahamic religions. So uh even some people have uh, posited a theory that he was the Buddha and maybe oh my gosh. maybe yeah. buried <laughs> in India. <laughs> So I mean uh, we're so far removed from this history and there, I mean this is a time when there was no internet and no uh, you know Amazon and no uh, you know no mass printing of books I mean books uh, uh, at the time they were all hand bound and hand you know painted um you know it's quite easy to get lost in history at that point Right what yeah. would Jesus tweet <laughs> would- <laughs> <laughs> What would Jesus tweet a good question. So, so um, where does the book take us, my friend? Uh, w- are we looking at uh, doing more of the same, Edwin, or what's on the horizon for
3: you? Uh well, yeah, I started my uh, second book, uh, sequel to this, which will have um, yes Lex Thomason in it, and <laughs> um, and Thea, and a few of the others. Um, Marco the dwarf, he'll be in it. Um, one of the one of the assassins will show up, among others. I got to say uh, there's a
0: second book today on, on our episode, uh, out of two authors, both books,
3: uh, feature prominently a dwarf in the uh, story. This is great. Oh, is that right? Wow. You know, it's a theme. Yeah. Why did I do that? I don't even know. I just <laughs> thought it was would why be fun. Why not? Why not? Yeah,
0: absolutely. So, uh, when, when are we looking for a sequel? When's that going to happen?
3: Oh, that's going to be a while. I'm, I'm studying it. The, the Medici family of Florence is, um, what's going to be featured in it. So I'm, I have to research um, extensively to do these things. If you read mythos crystals, you'll, you'll see that I must have and did research it for years, years and years. Yeah. We're putting this together.
1: I, again, see, my, my hope was that you were going to jump way into the future for your sequel and go millennials trying to figure out the Dewey decimal system
0: <laughs> <laughs> or jump ahead. follow. Y- Four, jump ahead four years and wonder how the hell Trump won a second election. <laughs> sorry. Sorry about the doomsday uh, talk there. <laughs> uh, so, so, Edwin, where can folks find uh, your books and uh, everything you're doing on the
3: internets? Oh, you can find it on Amazon. You can find it on uh, Barnes & Noble. Um, and you can go to my website, www.mythoschristos.com.
0: And before we go, uh, this is a Meet the Authors episode, so tell us a bit about yourself. What's your background and what brought you to uh, the Library of Alexandria?
3: Well, I'm an optometrist, so that didn't do it. (laughs) No. I was studying a lot. I was just reading a lot of the topic. It just really fascinated me. Um, A lot of authors writing about, you know, did Jesus exist? Um, Christianity is based on uh, previous myths. And it's really interesting, you know, and you see how many um, gods in the past were, you know, um, born of virgins, and their fathers were gods, and, right. you know, all the same uh, mytheme, I guess uh, you could call it. Um, so that, that fascinated me, I read, you know, 30 books on the subject, and I thought, boy, you know, people really need to know this, I came to a kind of a confluence of recondite knowledge on the subject very unusual uh stuff right um even with the greek gods and their mathematical relationships to each other very very unusual things and i thought people should really know this and i know they just don't and they're not going to pick up the tomes that i've been picking up it's just not likely yeah so
0: so so you did what I, most uh, historical fiction authors do is you take that uh that that, little, that pill of of, of knowledge and wrap it in an interesting and exciting story and hope that they'll swallow it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and it doesn't matter to me. I mean, if you, you know, if you believe it or not, when it's said and done, as long as you enjoy the book and, you know, and, and it opens your mind a little bit, you're, you're willing to ask the question, at least entertain the ideas. That's for sure. So okay. I'm not trying to push something that I want, you know, that you must believe this, you know,
0: no, but I, I I didn't mean that in a, in a you know in a bad way. I just meant that you know uh, sometimes uh, you know this historical knowledge is fascinating to someone like myself or yourself, but uh, the average person may not want to sit there and learn about the Library of Alexandria. But when you wrap it around this exciting story, you know you you get the same information into their head in an entertaining way, and that's a a brilliant and that's why I love uh, historical fictions like uh, like your book.
3: Right? Yeah, much more digestible than the the uh, average scholarly uh
0: tome absolutely absolutely and we enjoyed it very much
3: and once again i wanted you please
0: repeat where folks can find all your wonderful stuff
3: oh amazon uh will have mythos christos and paperback and ebook um barnes and noble all the big ones um it's not on the shelves at barnes and noble yet but i'm hoping it gets there um but online and uh www.mythoschristos.com.
0: Fantastic, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us, Edwin. Uh, hopefully we'll have you back on another episode soon and when Skype is behaving. Okay, sounds
2: good. <laughs> Stay tuned, book readers and book listeners. Book Guide Show will return next week. Same book time, same book channel.